We are closing out our series, The Whale and the Worm. We are going to be in Jonah chapter 4 today. Jonah chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, we're on that app, by the way. If you go to the events tab, you can follow along with the Core Church events, uh, follow along with the scripture. There's a reading plan. Stay on top of all the events happening here at the church as well. So we're in Jonah chapter 4. If you don't know where Jonah is, it's right after the book of Obadiah. That helps at all. God, thank you. And so I see that hand. And so uh, we are going to be in Jonah chapter 4. This is the last week of the series, the last chapter in the book of Jonah. We're kind of bringing Jonah's story to a conclusion. And honestly, his story kind of ends sad. It's, it's kind of a bittersweet ending. And so let's just dive in. Let's start reading in chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. By the way, I'll give you some context if you haven't been here Jonah was told to go to the city of Nineveh, which is a very wicked city, let them know that God was going to destroy him. Jonah didn't want to do that, and so he ran the other way. There was this thing that happened with the whale, three days in the whale, then the whale spits Jonah out on shore. Jonah goes to the city, tells them the message, and the people of Nineveh repent. And so this is where we pick it up, and it says the change of plans, the people repenting, upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complains to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn your back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. The Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Today, church, we are going to be talking about the worm as we conclude our series, The Whale and the Worm. So, Father, we come before you today. We're thankful, God, that your presence is here. God, we don't have to beg for you to show up. God, we don't have to do some rain dance to meet with you. God, your presence is already here, God. And you've already spoken this morning. So, God, I pray that as, as you speak, through your word today, God, that we will open up our hearts, we open up our minds, God, to hear from you, Lord, that challenge us today, stretch us, God, out of our comfort zone, out of our preconceived notions, God, push us today, Lord, we want to be transformed by you, we want to be transformed by your power, and if you, church, if you're ready to hear from God this morning, can I get a big amen? Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, have you ever thrown just a good old-fashioned, old-school, red-in-the-face fit or temper tantrum. Now, I know we're all saints here, so probably none of you have done this, and 
And I thought about this, and I thought, this would be a great time to tell a story about my kids. But then God said, I want you spilling some story on your kids. You're going to tell about yourself. And that was less fun. But I was like, okay. So when I was in high school, um, guys, I had like no idea how to dress. Now, some of you may look at me and say, not much has changed since high school. And that's fine. That's cool. I get that. But when I was in high school, I really had no idea how to dress. Like I was scrawnier in high school than I am now. But yet, for some reason, I decided that all of my shirts, need, their sizes need to start with X in them. Like, so I was wearing like extra large, double extra large shirts in high school. Guys, they looked like they were still on the hanger, okay? Like, not in a good way, not even in a like coolly ironic way, just in a bad way. They looked like they were still on the hanger. And pants, I mean, forget about it. I, I, my pants were either like too short or too long or too baggy, you know, they're, they're definitely not too skinny, like, cause, you know, but I just had such an awful time with clothes, no idea how to dress, so much so that one of my girlfriends took pity on me, and I became, like, her project. Now, when I say girlfriend, I don't mean, like, my girlfriend, I mean, like, my friend that was a girl, because I didn't have girlfriends in high school, because I didn't have that kind of game, because my clothes were atrocious, you know what I'm saying? And so this is just a friend who happened to be a girl, and I became her project. Like, she was going full-on, like, Project Runway. I don't know if she took her cause assessment and felt like this, this, this man has now become, like, my, my right, my wrong in the world that I need to make right, you know, the thing that I need to fix. And so, you know, cue, like, full-on montage where we're going into dressing rooms and trying, you know, like, that whole, that, that actually happened to me. And so... So finally, that came to a head where, you know, we're, we're going pants shopping. Now, I was a really hard size to shop for in, in high school. I was a 30, 34, and, you know, there's more of that now, but back then, I mean, just a few years ago when I was in high school, you know, back then, it, they didn't have the, those kinds of pants. And um, if you're an irregular pant size, if, if you have difficulty buying jeans, you already know the frustration of that. You already know the frustration. And so we're going to the mall, and so I'm getting ready to buy jeans. And we start out like at American Eagle and go to Gap and Banana Republic and Express, and I cannot find jeans that fit. And so while this is happening, guys, I'm just getting hot. I'm getting livid. I'm getting angry. You know, it's like I'm just getting mad. Now, remember, I was a teenager in high school. I did not have the maturity that I now possess. And so, you know, I just, and so finally it, it came to a head. We go into Eddie Bauer. Now, first of all, you know, if you're a teenager shopping in Eddie Bauer, think somewhere things have gone horribly off track. Okay. And so we go into Eddie Bauer and I'm, I'm just done. I'm, I'm just done at this point. Right. And so I go in and the poor sales lady comes and is like, hi, welcome to Eddie Bauer. How can I help you? And I'm like, do you have any 30, 34 pants? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't carry that. So I just go, oh, and I just storm out of Eddie Bauer. My poor friend who's with me, she's like, I'm so sorry. You know, she's like, I don't know what's happened to him. And she's like trying to make amends. I hear that. And I'm like, storm out and leave. And so if, you're, if you happened to work at Eddie Bauer 20 years ago, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what came over me. I apologize if that was you. So this is where we find Jonah. Jonah is in the midst of a full on temper tantrum, a full-on meltdown. You heard it in the chapter as we read it. Kill me now, God. I'd rather be dead than see what's happening coming true. Now, why was he in such a fit of rage? Because to right now, Jonah, his worst fear, his worst case scenario is happening right before him. Remember, God told Jonah to deliver the message to the people of Nineveh, but Jonah hated the Ninevites. 
He did not want to see God do a work in their life. He wanted to see them destroyed. He wanted to see them obliterated. He wanted to see God's judgment fall on the people of Nineveh. And so now that they've repented, and now that God's no longer going to destroy them, Jonah is ticked. He's having a full-out hissy fit with God. He's saying, I would rather be dead than see what's happened. His anger has fully gotten the best of him. When we pick up the story in chapter 4, it's so sad because we see Jonah isolated, we see him bitter, and we see him angry. And I think the story of Jonah is a precautionary tale for us because none of us want to end up that way. We don't want to end up in the call that God has for us. We don't want to end up isolated. We don't want to end up bitter, and we don't want to end up angry. Because truth is, we all know bitter people. If you're sitting next to them right now, don't nudge them. Don't look at them. This is not the time. We all know people who are bitter. We've all encountered it. Maybe it's a teacher that either you had or your kids have, and that teacher is just angry at their students. They're just done. They just hate being a teacher, and they take it out on their kids. You can tell that teacher is so bitter toward her students. Maybe it's a parent that you know that they are just so bitter and angry toward their kids. They're so harsh and mean. You look at them, it's like, man, do you even like your kids? And they're so checked out of parenting, and they're so bitter. Some of you have had experiences with bosses that are bitter, and you can tell it's like they show up to work, and their number one job when they go into the office is to make all of their employees' lives miserable. Some of you have worked in those situations, and you know it's like the, the boss shows up, and it's like, man, does he just hate all of us, does he only care about how he can make our lives awful? And he's, this boss is just bitter. Some of you have even heard of pastors, maybe even sat under a pastor who's just become bitter toward his flock and toward his congregation, and, and you can see it takes it out on the sheep. And, and the thing is, none of us want to end up that way. None of us want to end up bitter and isolated and angry. But the thing that we have to see out of Jonah's life is if we're not careful that bitterness and isolation and anger can seep in when we're trying to walk out the very thing that God has called us to do. That there is things that God has called you into your life, but you have to guard your heart and you have to guard your attitude because if not, you'll end up bitter, you'll end up isolated, and you'll end up alone. Because think about all those people. None of those teachers set out because they wanted to become bitter old teachers. They all set out thinking they were going to change the world, that they were going to impact the next generation of students. None of them started out that way. No parent starts out holding a newborn in their arm thinking, boy, I can't wait till I get to the point where we just can't stand each other. That's just going to be great. No, they start out thinking, I'm going to love you and I'm going to cherish you and man, you're going to grow up to be such an amazing person that no boss starts out thinking, I'm going to hire a bunch of people so I can make their lives awful. That's not how they start out. They start out wanting to have a business that makes money so that they can provide for people, for themselves and for the people that work for them and make a difference in the world. And no pastor certainly starts out thinking, boy, I can't wait till I can't stand to be around my congregation. No, they all start out wanting to make a difference in the world. But what happens somewhere along the way, something happened in their heart. Somewhere along the way, something happened in Jonah's heart that caused them to become bitter, that caused them to become isolated, and that caused them to become angry. And so today, I want to look at one key ingredient, one thing that will help you finish strong in your calling, one thing that will help you guard your heart 
in your calling. One thing that if you will do this thing, you will not end up bitter. You will not end up isolated. You will not end up angry. But if you do not do this thing, we'll lead you down that path. And that one thing that I want to talk about today is compassion. See, compassion carries you through your calling. Compassion carries you through your calling. With compassion, with the heart of compassion, you will be able to do the things that God has called you to do. You will have the power to overcome adversity. You will have the strength to work with people. But without compassion, you will end up bitter, isolated, and angry. Without compassion, you will either burn up, or I'm sorry, you will either burn out, or you will blow up. Without compassion, you will either burn out, or you will blow up. Without it, you will lose your lid at some point. You will blow up at the people around you. There will be collateral damage as far as the eye can see. Without it, you will burn out. You will check out. You will disconnect. You will pull back from your calling. You will pull back from what God's asked you to do. You may even pull back from faith itself because your compassion has run dry. Compassion was such a powerful thing that time and time again in the scriptures, Time and time again in the Gospels, we see that when Jesus would do a miracle, it said that he was moved with compassion. That compassion was a force that moved him when he saw the plight of the people. He couldn't help but do something because compassion moved him toward the people that God asked him to reach. Compassion is such a powerful force, and we need it so desperately when it comes to living out our calling in our life. So today I want to look at how we cultivate a heart of compassion, how we do practices and things in our lives that allow compassion to grow. Because once again, without compassion, you will not be able to carry out the call that God has placed on your life. And so we're going to look at these things. We're going to look at how we guard our hearts and how we finish strong because God has an amazing work he's called us to do, but we need compassion in order to make that happen. So you guys ready to get into this with me today? Awesome. Let's do it. So let's pick it up. In chapter 4, picking up Jonah's story here in verse 1. Let's read this here. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Once again, God having mercy on Nineveh. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The first thing that we need to understand about compassion is this, is that compassion remembers grace constantly. That compassion remembers grace constantly. So I said earlier I wasn't going to, you know, tell on my kids, but now I am because I'm a parent, and that's what you do when you're a parent and you're a preacher. You tell on your kids. And so I have three kids my oldest two are, are my daughters, and my youngest son is four. My, my only son, and also my youngest, is four. His name is Andrew. And so Andrew's at this stage right now, and if you've had kids at this stage, you remember this you know, fondly, is we're trying to teach Andrew how to share and how to take turns and, and do that. And so you know, we're having moderate success, I would say, with that. See, Andrew gets it, but he kind of gets it selectively. So, so this is what I mean by this, is, is that when Andrew sees his sister's playing with something, when they have a toy, no matter what that toy is, he wants it. 
and, and that brings up a whole other line of questions and insecurities for me because, you know, he has older sisters. And so when you see your only begotten son freaking out because he can't play with a Barbie doll, you know, you have to evaluate things within yourself, you know. And, but, but I digress. I digress. This is not about that. So, so he sees them playing with something, and he wants it for himself. And so what he'll say to them is, hey, you have to share. You have to take turns. And he'll tell that to his sisters. But when Andrew has a toy and his sisters want to play with it, then all of a sudden he's never heard of this word sharing. He, he does not know of this sharing of which you speak. It's like you're, you're speaking Greek to him. You know, he's like, I, I don't know. This is my toy. I'm going to play with this. See, Andrew likes it when he's on the receiving end of sharing, but he doesn't like to be on the giving end of sharing. And Jonah was the exact same way in that Jonah had received a, a measure of grace from God, the likes of which we don't see very much in the Bible. Jonah disobeyed a direct order from God to go to the people of Nineveh. And yet God had compassion and mercy on Jonah. Jonah should have been seafood. When he fell off the boat and went into the, the belly of the fish, it was by the grace of God that, he did, that his story didn't end right then and there. It was by the grace of God that God heard Jonah's prayer of repentance, that God heard Jonah's cries for help, and God spits Jonah back out. God had poured out extravagant grace on Jonah, and Jonah liked being on the receiving end of that grace, but Jonah had no desire to share the grace that he had received with others. Jonah had no desire to share the grace that he had received with others. And I think the reason for that is, I, I think Jonah felt justified in his attitude. So it's easy for us to look back and like, oh, come on, Jonah, get with the program. But I think Jonah felt justified because we have to remember the people of Nineveh were exceedingly evil. They weren't just like kind of bad people who like, you know, didn't do their taxes. I mean, they were wicked people. They did things that we can't even talk about from stage. And Jonah was a part of God's chosen nation. Jonah was a part of the people of Israel, and so Jonah surely had to think, you know what, what I did was bad, sure, my disobedience is bad, but it wasn't as bad as what they're doing. It wasn't as bad as what they've done. I mean, God, look at their sin, and in light of what they're doing, my sin doesn't seem that bad. So, yeah, God, it makes sense that you would give me grace, it would make sense that you would give me mercy, but God, there's no way that you could forgive them. There's no way that you could have grace for them. And it's so important as we walk out our calling, it's so important that we understand that we have to resist the urge to withhold grace, that we have to resist the urge to withhold grace on other people based on how we measure and how we value their wrong, how we measure and how we value their sin, because it's so easy for us to look out in the world today and for our compassion to dry up. It's so easy for us to look out today and say, oh my gosh, look at these horrible things that are happening. Look at this evil that's being done. These, these are bad people that deserve everything wrong, everything bad that's going to happen to them. They absolutely deserve it. Now, does justice need to be applied in situations? Yes, 100%, absolutely. But I'm talking about we need to guard against our heart becoming cold and hardened and our heart and our compassion drying up where all of a sudden now we're the ones, we're the arbiters of who decides who gets grace and who doesn't get grace. 
Because your sin doesn't look so bad, so now I've deemed you worthy to receive grace. But because I judge your sin to be awful, then all of a sudden you no longer are worthy to receive grace in my life. Even when people hurt us, it's easy to say, but Daniel, you don't know what they did. You don't know how they've hurt me. You don't know how they've wronged me. You don't know the trust that I extended them and they broke that trust. They don't deserve grace anymore. But what we have to understand, church, is this, is that we all have an equal need for grace, that we all have an equal need for grace, and that grace is equally available to us all. We all have an equal need of grace, no matter what sin it is, no matter what level of sin you've committed, no matter what it is, we all have an equal need of grace. There's an old saying that the foot is level, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And for all of us, when we come to the foot of the cross, our need for God's grace is equal. But the truth is, too, that God's grace is equally available to us all, no matter what we've done, no matter the wrongs we've committed, no matter what someone's done to us, that God's grace is just as available for them as it is for us. And what we have to be careful of is what Jonah did. See, Jonah walked in obedience to God's calling, but Jonah completely missed God's heart. Jonah walked in obedience to God's calling. He did what God told him to do, but in the process, he completely missed God's heart. Jonah knew about God's compassion. He spouted it off, said, God, I knew that you're a compassionate God. He knew it in his head, but he never allowed God's compassion and allowed God's grace and mercy to transform his heart. And I want to tell you something, church, if we want to be the type of people that make a difference in our community, if we want to be the type of people that change the world, if we want to be the type of people that aren't just a little church that gathers and doesn't do jack squat throughout the week, but if we want to be the type of people that go and make a difference and make an impact, then it's not enough for us to know about the compassion of God. It's not enough for us to know about his grace. It's not enough even for us to have just personally experienced his grace and to have personally experienced his compassion, but we have to be transformed by it. We have to be changed by it. We have to be consumed by it so much so that it goes out from us and into a world that's lost and into a world that's dying and in need. God's calling us to be carriers and transmitters of his compassion, transmitters of his grace, but it all starts, we have to remember grace constantly. We have to remember the grace that was shown to us, and we have to remember that God's grace is equally available for everyone that we come in contact with. We're not the ones that get to decide who gets grace and mercy. God is, and it's up to us to extend that grace to all that we see. So then we pick up Jonah's story again in verse 5, and we find Jonah that Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. Jonah was on the east side in the city where the sun don't set. Any Halsey fans out there, you know. Anyways, I knew that joke would bomb, honey, but I decided to say it anyway. So then Jonah goes out to the east side of the city. Second thing I want us to understand about compassion is this, that compassion keeps people close. Compassion keeps people close. See, we see with Jonah that he did what God told him to do. He went and preached, and then he left. And he pulled out of the city. And I believe Jonah never even made an attempt to get to know the people of Nineveh. So let's back up a chapter and see what Jonah did. And we talked about this some last week. So let's back up and see what Jonah did in chapter 3. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord. This is after he got spit out of the fish. He obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took how long? It took 
three days to see it all. But on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. See, it took three days to walk through Nineveh. But what did Jonah do? The second he entered the city, he started shouting at the people, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed. And I really believe if Jonah would have taken the time to walk through the city of Nineveh, that maybe his heart would have been turned toward the people of Nineveh, that maybe he would have walked and seen children playing in the streets with absolutely nothing. Maybe he would have seen people being indoctrinated in schools. Maybe he would have seen mothers just trying to make things happen, and he would have seen poverty, and he would have seen oppression, and he would have seen people that, that were just like him that desperately needed help. And maybe it would have changed his heart, but Jonah never took the time to take that step. He never wanted to get to know the people of Nineveh. Instead, he shows up. Yes, he activated his calling. We talked about that last week. He activated, but he activated it in the completely wrong heart. That instead of, of going in and having conversation, he just goes in and starts shouting at the people, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed. And I think the truth of the matter is this, church, that oftentimes it's easier to preach at people than it is to get to know people. That oftentimes it's easier just to preach at people than it is to get to know people. And what we have to guard against, church, what we have to guard against in our calling is we have to guard against the urge to keep people at a distance. We have to guard against the urge to keep people at a distance because it's easier for us, because it's safer for us, because it's better. We have to guard against that urge to keep people at a distance because when we keep people at a distance, what happens is that's the place where compassion dies, where prejudice grows, and where our hearts become cold. That's the place when we keep people at a distance where compassion dies, where prejudice grows, and our hearts become cold. See, Jonah was extremely prejudiced against the people of Nineveh. And if we're not careful, when we keep people at a distance, prejudice can seep in into our lives. Now, I'm not just talking about racial prejudice here. I'm talking about there can be socioeconomic prejudice. There can be prejudice against people's sexual orientations. There can be prejudice based on how people look. We're getting ready to have an election next year. If you don't think there aren't political prejudice that goes on, then you are sorely mistaken. We can have political prejudice. We can have prejudice against people whether they go to Quick Trip or whether they go to Come and Go. You know, we, there's all kinds of prejudice that we can have. And but what, what happens is distance from people is what creates that. And when we have distance, it allows us to, to start painting people with broad strokes of the brush and allows us to reinforce stereotypes that we have in our head. And ultimately what it does is it creates an us versus them kind of mentality. And that's what happens. That's where we have to fight that urge to keep people at a distance. See, the thing is, when we get to know people, when we get to know their stories, when we get to know what makes them tick, when we understand why they're so bitter, when we understand why people are the way that they are, then all of a sudden, condemnation is replaced by compassion. Then all of a sudden, when we get to know people, that condemnation that we have toward them is replaced by compassion. So um, a few weeks ago, I, um, I bought a car, and um, I, I like having a hobby, by the way. I always like tinkering with stuff, working on stuff. And so I, I bought this car because I, I found this really good deal, and I'm like, I'm going to buy this car, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some work into it, and, you know, I'm going to fix it up a little bit, and I'm going to sell this car and try to make a little bit of money on it. 
And so I've never done this before, first time, and um, I just sold it this week. And needless to say, I won't be quitting my day job to open up a used car lot anytime soon. I didn't do as good on it as I hoped I would. But so, you know, I get it all, get tires on it and try to fix it up and put it out on the, uh, the driveway here at the church to, to sell it. And um, so people are calling in, you know, if you ever sold anything, you know, like a car or stuff on Facebook Marketplace, you know how this goes. People calling in and asking, you know, how much and how many miles and, oh, it's too many miles, just all that kind of stuff. Except, so once, uh, one call I got last week, this happened just last Wednesday, I think it was, this guy calls me and he's like, hey, how much for the car? All the usual questions. And then I hear his dad chirping in the background. And so he's like, hang on, my dad wants to talk to you. And so his dad gets on the phone with me. And then all of a sudden, his dad starts arguing with me, like arguing with me about the price of the car. And not only that, then he starts cussing me out over the price of the car. He's like, I can get that effing car for $2,000 all day long. I can't believe you're out. And he starts cussing at me. And I'm like, dude, you called me. I didn't call you. called me. And then, church, he had the nerve. He hung up on me. I called him back. I, I looked at my phone in disbelief, and I hit redial as fast as anything I've ever done, and, and I called him back, and the son answers, like, hey, I not appreciate being talked to that way. I'm just trying to sell a car here, man. And then the guy says, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, my, my dad's on medication, and... Um, he just, he gets like that sometimes, and he gets worked up, and I'm, I'm so sorry that happened. I'm like, well, don't let it happen again. I mean, what, do you, what do you do with that? When we get to know people's stories, it allows compassion to replace condemnation. Maybe there's someone in your life that's bitter and angry. What, what if you took time to get to know their story? Instead of making assumptions, instead of plotting out their life from A to Z? What if you took time to get to know the story? Would it, would it change the way you looked at them? Would it change the way that you interacted with them? I don't, I don't know that people always are the way they are just because that's how they are. That's how they always will be. I think a lot of times there's a reason. There's a hurt. There's something that happened. What, what if we took the time to get to know them? See, compassion doesn't happen at the point of contact. Compassion happens at the point of conversation. Compassion doesn't happen at the point of contact. Compassion happens at the point of conversation. What if we started having more conversations? What if we started getting to know people? Would it, would it change how we view people? Would it, would it allow us to maybe take a step toward people instead of pushing them away from us? So we talked about how um, compassion keeps people close. We talked about how compassion remembers grace constantly. Last thing I want to talk to you about this is that compassion begins at the end of your comfort. Compassion begins at the end of your comfort. When we pick up Jonah's story in the rest of verse five, he went out to the city to make the shelter and then it says, there he made himself a what? He made himself a shelter. He made himself a sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah has now pulled away from the city and he's built himself a shelter that's on the outside of what God has called him to do. He's built himself a shelter to keep him safe, to keep him comfortable on the outside of what God's called him to do. And I think that oftentimes we can build shelters to keep us comfortable outside of God's calling for us. So Jonah sits down and he builds himself this, 
this shelter. He builds himself this shade. And I just imagine Jonah with his bald head, you know, because it's more dramatic that way, you know, and it's hot. And so he builds this little place for him to sit. And there he has this view of the city, this view of what God's called him to do. But he's on the outside sitting underneath the shelter that he's constructed for himself. And I think oftentimes we can build shelters that keep us isolated, that keep us insulated, that keep us at arm's length. We're close to what God's called us to do, but keep us from really being all in to what God's called us to do. I think sometimes we can build shelters of attitude and prejudice. And I know I talked about that a little bit, but I want to dig on that a little more because I want to make you uncomfortable this morning. And so um, sometimes we can build shelters and we can allow one or two experiences that we have with people to define whole groups of people. And because of that, it keeps us from having to engage with them because we've already written them off. We already know what they're about. We already have an idea of what they're doing. We can say, you know what? All poor people are just lazy. They just need to get a job. They just need to get some gumption. They just need to work. They're all lazy. We can say, you know what? All rich people are just greedy. They're just trying to keep the small man down. They're trying to get more for themselves. Building shelters keep us isolated. We can say, you know what? All old people are out of touch. You know, I got cut off by someone who was elderly the other day. I was like, come on, get off the road. You don't even deserve to be driving anymore. <laughs> Shelter. We can say, you know what? All young people are just entitled. Man, this next generation is just a bunch of entitled brats. They don't want to work for anything. All young people, they're just so entitled. We can say all overweight people just need some self-control. We can write them off. We can say all fit people are just vain. All they care about is their looks. If we're not careful, we can allow these ideas, we can allow these stereotypes, we can allow these things to form in our mind. And what it does is it keeps us at arm's length from certain groups of people and says, you know what? People that look like me, the people that smell like me, the people that act like me, they deserve God's grace, but I don't, I'm not so sure about these people. What have we done? We've built a shelter to keep us comfortable outside of what God has called us to do. For some of us in this place, just the idea, just being comfortable is a shelter. Maybe you're here and you're single in this place, and God has called you to have a God-honoring marriage. That's what God's called you. That's the city God's called you to inhabit. But instead, you're standing on the outskirts of that, and you've built a shelter in a relationship that you know is not God's best for you. You know it's not leading you toward that calling on your life, but you're still in it. Why? Because it keeps you comfortable. It keeps you sheltered. It keeps you feeling secure and good about yourself. So you're in something that you know God's not called you to be in because it makes you comfortable. For some of you here in this place, God's called you to go back to school. God's called you to change careers. God's called you to leave your career so you can stay home. God's called you to do something radical, but you're not taking the step to do it. You're not taking a step into what God's called you to do because you're sitting under a shelter of comfort. You're sitting under a shelter of the status quo. Maybe for some of you, God's called you to be on a core team, to get involved in what he's doing right here in this local church, and you're not doing it because you're sitting under a shelter of comfort. If I get on the court team, I have to get there early, and I have to stay late, and I can't just not show up to church whenever I want, and that may make me uncomfortable. I want to be comfortable in my church experience, and could it be that you've built a shelter that's keeping you on the outskirts of God's call for your life? What's the shelter 
that you've built that's keeping you from God's call on your life, that's keeping you comfortable outside of that middle. Because I think the tragedy that can happen is this church is that we can build shelters close to the call of God on our life, but not be in the middle of the call of God on our life. That we can, that we can warm ourselves by the fire of the call of God on our life, but we never jump in and never become on fire ourselves. And the truth is this, that a shelter that's outside of God's calling will never sustain. A shelter that's outside of God's calling will never sustain. That thing that you built that you try to stay comfortable, that thing that you built that keeps people at a distance, that thing that you built that makes you feel better about the grace that you receive but makes you unwilling to disperse that grace on others, that shelter will never sustain. Because it didn't for Jonah. Look what happened. Look what God did. God sends a worm. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his bald head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. See, God loves you too much to leave you in the middle of your self-centeredness. He loves you too much to leave you in the middle of your comfort and your complacency that's keeping you from realizing the calling that he has on your life. He loves you too much to do this. And so what he'll do is he'll send a worm to eat away at that shelter. He'll send a worm to start gnawing away at the thing inside of you that keeps you comfortable and that keeps you safe. For some of you here in this place, you're wondering why you feel so discontent inside. You're wondering why you feel like just nothing is, is bringing you joy anymore. You wonder why you feel so unsettled, why you can't sleep at night. Could it be that God is sending a worm to eat away at the comfort of your life? Could it be that God is sending worms to eat away at the things that are keeping you on the outskirts of God's call for your life? Because I want to tell you something. God has a call for you that's bigger than you are. God has a people for you to reach that don't look like you, that don't smell like you, that don't think like you, they don't talk like you, they don't act like you, but God wants you to reach them with his love and his compassion, but it's going to require you, and it's going to require me to step outside of our comfort, to step outside of what makes us feel good, to step outside of what we know, and to step into the unknown with him, and we can't do that in our own strength. It requires us to be filled to overflowing with his compassion, because compassion is what carries us through our calling. And with compassion, I want to tell you, we can extend grace to people that otherwise don't feel like deserve grace, that we can bring people in close and we can know their story and that we can step outside of our comfort and we can do great things with God. But it has to start and it has to be fueled by compassion because if not, church, we're going to burn out and we're going to blow up. If not, we're going to end up bitter, and we're going to end up isolated, and we're going to end up angry. But if we allow ourselves to lay down ourselves, to lay down our own desires, say, God, fill me with your compassion. Fill me with your love. God, fill me with love for those around me. Fill me with love for those that you've called me to reach. God, fill me with love for those. And that's a daily and constant prayer for us, church. I want to tell you, world, look out. Because that's the church that God needs. That's the church that needs to go out and live sent. That's the church that's making a difference in workplaces and making a difference in schools and making a difference in homes and making a difference in the foster care system and making a difference with helping people step out of addiction and step out of bondage. That's the church that God, God needs, a church that's fueled with the compassion 
and always reminded of the grace that they've received, church. This is what God is calling us to do. This is who God is calling us to be, to live sent and to live sent with his compassions.